0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Alright, good good morning everyone. Glad you're here this morning and um, excited to study uh, about rebellion Great introduction by Nathan. Yeah. Um, we're looking in uh, Numbers chapter 16, and uh, I'm not going to. We're going to kind of go through this passage uh, verse by verse. So I'm not going to read it all yet. We'll kind of read it section by section as we go along. Um, but uh, I titled this passage. Um, so again, this time, raise you know be bold about this. Really, raise your hand high. If you're a leader, raise your hand. All right, way to go, you leaders, right? Now, another question. How many of you are followers? Okay, now, if you're not raising your hand, we need to have a talk after church, right? Because we're all following somebody. We may think we're not, but actually, we're all followers. Um, uh, in this passage today, it is it is about rebellion and, and more rebellion and, and trouble. Uh, but I've titled this Godly Leadership, uh, Leading People into God's Redemptive Plan, because uh, it is a, a good picture, a role uh, of, of a biblical model of leadership. It's also a great picture of really bad leadership. And in our um, and so example, I want to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but it could be incriminating. But I think we all know examples of bad leaders, right? We all, and probably we've all experienced being under what we would perceive to be people who were ineffective or bad leaders. Um, and, and there's no shortage of those. And often, uh, bad leaders are people who are very—we we would perceive them as being very self-serving, or focused only on their own agenda and not on the, the best interests of the team or the bigger organization. Um, sometimes they're just incompetent, and we just feel like they just can't lead, right? Or, or worse, maybe they're they're corrupt and evil, and they they are leading with evil intentions. Um, and one of the problems is that in our day uh, leaders are under a fire a lot and probably for good reasons we see these examples of bad leaders and so there's kind of this modern view of leadership that that leadership is the problem right like that the world would be a much better place if we could just do away with leaders and there may be some there may be some truth to that actually but uh, but when you look at scripture it's very clear all the way back you know to the beginning of scripture that God has appointed and established leaders. He has a purpose for them. And so uh, we, can't, we can't get jilted by the, the bad examples of leadership in our world and, and just do away with them. Um, and, and as we think about leadership, one of the, one of the issues that we face is that the, the world's idea of what a good leader is and what the Bible's idea of a good leader is are, are actually oftentimes very different things. Let me say that again, because I think sometimes we confuse this. The world's idea of a good leader and the Bible's idea are oftentimes very different. But it's interesting, throughout the history of the church, the church has actually adopted uh, social models, man-made models of leadership. Right. So if you go back way back when the world was ruled by emperors, like the, uh, the Roman emperor, the church was ruled by what? well, kind of the equivalent, the pope, right? Uh, really functioned in, in, in an em, emperor kind of role. And then when, uh, when that became out of style and out of fashion, we got rid of emperors and uh, power shifted to more local feudal kings, guess what the church did? The church ruled by bishops on a more of a local scale. And way, way later, when we decided kings were a bad idea, and the people should be in charge and we invented democracy guess how churches started getting their leaders then? well they elected them right? and so throughout history the church has kind of been guilty of, of modeling our leadership from what the world patterns or what the world has established um, and, and as we'll see in this passage uh, the world's models of leadership are not effective um, uh, so 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 God has a plan for leaders. And, and since almost everybody raised their hand, not everybody, but most of us raised our hand, most of us are in some kind of leadership role. And if you're not, you probably will be at some point in your life. You will be responsible for leading other people. It's important to know uh, what God's picture or vision of, of, of leadership is. Now we're not going to talk about everything about leadership, and there's certainly a lot that we could say. But I do want to give out of this passage some... Some kind of core values that should be true of us if we, in our roles as leaders. Some things that should be true about our character and our attitude as we lead other people. We'll also talk a little bit about following because we are all, are all followers. And, and how do we follow people who maybe we feel like are not good leaders? Um, so we're going we're to go through this, and we'll, the way I'm going to do this, I'm going to go through kind of verse by verse, skim through, and look at. Um, uh, uh the, the bad model of leadership because there's some great examples in here of really really what I would call effective but but uh, not good leadership right We'll do that and then I'm going to go back afterwards and pull out a few key verses to highlight uh, the more biblical picture. Um, so so let's look at sorry start, start jump jump into verse one. Uh, now Cora, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Okay, now a lot of times in Scripture we read through these these genealogical things about who was son of who was son of who, and we're kind of like, I, I don't know, I don't get that. But these are actually important, right? First one is Korah. Is Korah who turns out to be the leader of this whole rebellion against Moses. <coughs> right? And, he, and it's significant that he is a Levite. Okay, you need to underline that or check that. He's a Levite. If you remember, the Levites were the, the tribe from which the priests came. So Aaron was a Levite. Um, and God had appointed the Levites with the special role of assisting Aaron, who was the priest, in the care and and and. And uh, work ministry of the of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, where God's presence dwelt. So the Levites had a very special role. And not only was he a Levite, but he was from the the clan of, of Kohath. He was the son of Kohath. Now you guys all remember the because because you, you you guys have have been studying this hard, right? What was the job of the Kohathites? Right, carrying the furniture of the tabernacle. Oh yeah, right, right. They're the ones who carried the Ark of the Covenant and the, the mercy seat and the altar. They and so they they, next to the priests, were the closest to the tabernacle of anybody. They had closer, more direct access to come near to God, the holy things of God, than any of the other Israelites. Right? That's, that's who Korah was. Right? Then also these other these other characters, Dathan and Abiram and on, are, are the sons of Reuben. Why does that matter? Well, the Reubenites were the descendants of Reuben. Who was, who was Reuben? Well, he holds the distinction of being the firstborn of, of all of Jacob's son. So uh, if you're thinking worldly, firstborn means you're better than everybody else. All these firstborns, raise your hand, right? We, we know we're, we just know we're just kind of above everybody. It's, just, it's our birthright, right? Because we also know that, that Reuben sold his birthright. He forfeited it. And so consequently, not only for himself, but for his whole his whole tribe. Right? So they are not first in, in line. They're not marching first. They're not taking any leadership role. Uh, they're on the south side of the tabernacle. They're in the second rank. Right? So if you're counting what your rank is, this would matter to you. Right? So that's who these guys are. Uh, Dathan and Abiram and on. Right? And it says they took men. Now, uh, what's important to realize is that these guys were, by the world's definition, good and effective leaders, right? Uh, how does the world define uh, leadership? Well, uh, there's many, you could find all kinds of examples, but they all would kind of boil down to something like this. A, def- a worldly definition is of leadership is that leadership is that art of motivating a group of people to act towards achieving a common goal right? so the leader is the inspiration and director of the action he or she is the person in the group that possesses the combination of personality and leadership skills that makes others want to follow his or her direction right? now I, I can I could probably pull out right now out of my off my shelves in my office 10 books on Christian leadership who would say this exact same thing about leadership would say leaders are people who can get people to follow them, right? That's effective leadership. Well, if that's true, Korah is a good leader. He is effective. He has found a way to get people to follow him. He took men. He took men. Uh, And they rose up before Moses. Okay, so he's not just, he's on a mission, right? He is inspiring people to go where he wants them to go. Right? he knows how to do this he's effective he's inspiring he's got that combination of personality and leadership skills that make others want to follow his direction and what is his direction? well it happens to be a direction on a path towards destruction right? and that's the one flaw in that definition right? People, you can get people to follow you it doesn't matter where you're going okay? And that's a critical problem with that definition. We'll see some other problems with it in a minute. They rose up before Moses. Literally, they rose up against Moses. They just rose up before him, but the word rise up is this idea of coming against Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. So so Korah wasn't able to just get kind of low-life flunkies to follow him. He was able to get the top leaders in Israel on his side. 250 of them. Well-known, respected uh, leaders among all the tribes of Israel. And he marshaled them, and he, he, he brings them up against Moses. Um, and they assembled, them, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Right? So what is his technique for, for getting everybody on his side? Well, it's easy. Like, if you want to be an effective leader in the world, and you want to marshal people, this is how you do it. Uh, He said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? This is how you do it. You you make people feel good about how mistreated they are by the current leadership. Right? You sow discontent by showing how ineffective and horrible the current leadership is, and how if you were in charge, the world would be better. Right? This is so easy to do, right? so easy, and and you can just go on, on, on online and you can find millions of examples of, of politicians who, who who do this. Right? We're going to get people to follow me by showing how bad the current leadership is, and I love what 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 he says here. He actually quotes he actually quotes Moses. He quotes God in Scripture and what he says here. Uh, These come right out of the Book of Exodus and Numbers. Uh, He says, uh, "All the congregation are holy." Uh, Exodus sixteen, God says. I have, I'm calling you out to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood right he's quoting scripture here this is right it's true and he says um, all of them all of them God is in the midst of all of them also quoting quoting Moses himself who said God wants to come and be in the midst of you right um, but it's it's selective truth right and he's using it to manipulate things against Moses right and then he charges, he makes this charge against Moses. Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? In other words, who died and put you in charge, right? Who are you to be telling us what to do? Now, we don't know the whole thing yet. It comes out in a minute um, what, what his agenda is. Um, but it's not simply that, that he thinks uh, Moses is arrogant or proud or that he's taken this leadership on himself. There's, there's another issue we'll see in a minute. Um, and, and so, but he's been effective at, at stirring up people against Moses. Uh, and, and Moses responds. He said in verse 4, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face uh, before God. This happens uh, three times in these two chapters. Uh, uh, when, when Moses is attacked, when he comes under uh, this opposition Every single time, Moses' instant, immediate response is to fall face down before God. And it's a posture of prayer. And it's, it's Moses going to God, seeking help and wisdom. And uh, we don't know how long he's on his face, but he prays and 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 apparently uh, God speaks to him or leads him. And and Moses says uh, to Korah and all his company, verse 5, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all his company, put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Now, um, it pays to know history. Right? Um, good leaders, this is not one of the biblical principles, but I'm just saying this is a good idea. Uh, It's good to know history. And like, right about now, if Korah knew his Israelite post-Exodus history, he would start getting a little nervous, right? Because this has already happened once in in the book of Numbers. Remember this story? Uh, Two guys who happened to actually be priests, not just Levites, who actually had the right to enter into uh, the tabernacle precincts. Uh, took censers and put fire in them, and to, took them uh, to offer before God. Remember what happened to those guys, Nadab and Abihu, and and God brought fire down on them and consumed them. Right, this should be a warning sign. Like right now, Korah should be going, "Oh man, what was I thinking, Moses? I'm sorry, I, I um, change a plan." Right, but that's not what he does. Right. Um, uh, and Moses said to Korah, uh, here, and, and so he, so, so Moses gets to the root of the, of the problem here. Verse 8, Moses says to Korah, here now, you sons of Levi. So he's addressing specifically Korah. And we find out that in this story, there's actually two simultaneous rebellions going on kind of side by side. And, and they're led by two different groups of people. And the first uh, one is Korah. And so Moses addresses the issue of Korah first. What is his agenda? What is Korah really after here? Is he just disgruntled at uh, Moses' leadership or is he after something else? Well, Moses sees through his ploy and uh, pinpoints the real issue for Korah. He says, Here now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near himself To do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. Right? God set them apart for this special service. Um, and that, uh, and 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 all your brothers, the sons of Levi, is with you. And would you? And here it is. Would you seek the priesthood also? So that's really what Korah's agenda is here. Uh, He is serving his own selfish agenda that he feels cheated that even though he's got this special position as a Levite and even more special position as a Kohathite who actually gets to carry and serve in the most hands-on way in the tabernacle. He is as close as you can get to being the priest as, as you can get and not be a priest. But that is not enough for him. Right? He has his eyes lusting and coveting after the priesthood. He wants to be in Aaron's shoes. And, and the truth is, he doesn't want everybody to be that. He's, not, he's really not arguing that everybody should be priests, that everybody should have equal access to God. Right? It just happened to be a convenient way for him to approach the subject. What he wants is he wants a special place for himself, the special honor and glory that he thinks will come with that. And it shows one of the great uh, misunderstandings about leadership. Followers look at leaders and they think, Leaders are people with honor and glory and position and prestige. And I want that. Anybody who's a leader knows it's none of those things, right? Amen. Those of you who are leaders, is there any prestige? Like, it just means you have a bigger target for people to shoot at. That's what it means, right? You just get shot at easier, right? Uh, But he sees it just as a way to achieve for himself status and position and glory and control. Um, and God says therefore it is and so this is, this is Moses' conclusion you're seeking after something God has not given you and, and uh, therefore it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together what is Aaron that you should grumble against him right? uh, one of the key principles of leadership is that God appoints leaders Leaders are an extension of God's authority and agency. They're agents of him. Right? So when you come against, uh, in this case, Aaron, he's not just coming against Aaron, but he's actually coming against God himself. we will see this more when we talk about this positive side of leadership. Um, he, he, is, he is rejecting God's rule, not just Aaron as priest. Um, so this scene shifts a little in verse 12. Um, and and Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram the sons of Eliab Um, so so we don't know how this all played out but Korah comes with this tribe of 250 somehow Moses knows though that he's not alone and the 250 are not all Levites they come from all the tribes so somehow uh, Korah has gotten the whole nation behind him uh, but also stirring up up uh, discontent is these other two characters, uh, Dathan and Abiram. Um, and so somehow Moses knows about them too, whether God revealed we don't know, know or how, but, uh, but Moses sent and called Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, to come to the temple as well. He wants to meet with them as well. Now, it could be that these guys were smarter and they knew this whole burning incense thing was a bad idea. <laughs> we are like, we're not, we're, we're not that stupid, right? Or it could just be that they're defiant. We don't know. But, but notice what they say in verse 12. He says, we will, we will not come up. We're not coming. We're not doing what you say. Is it a small thing? Uh, notice that he uses Moses' words here. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Very interesting. Over and over, uh, God has told Moses that they are going to a land of milk and honey. And, and, and Dathan and Abiram say, you brought us out of the land of milk and honey. Uh, a very defiant and blatant rejection of God's saving work in the Exodus. Saying, look, we were way better off when we were slaves in Egypt. Right? Uh, again, selective memory. <laughs> Forgetting what they really were in, in Egypt. Uh, and, and, and they don't like that that Moses has made himself prince, they think, has made himself a prince over them. Okay, remember, uh, Dathan and Abiram were from what tribe? Reuben. Right. They were leaders of the tribe of Reuben. And maybe they thought, look, if anybody should be a prince, it should be me. I should be king here. Who's Moses? Who's Moses? That he should be a ruler over us. So they also have their own agenda for power and glory and status through the position of leadership. And they complain more. Moreover, you have not brought us, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Okay, I love this. This is brilliant. Okay, they start blaming Moses for failed leadership. And they say, Moses, you promised to bring us into the promised land. You promised to bring us into, into this place where we would have an inheritance of, of land. And you failed. You are a failure as a leader. Talk about selective memory, right? Two chapters back. Why did they not enter the promised land? Because they didn't want to, right? Moses said, let's go. And they said, we refuse to go. It was their own stubbornness and rebellion, not Moses' failed leadership, right? Moses tried, and they refused to follow him. But now they're blaming him uh, that, that he's a failure as a leader. Um. Will you put out the eyes of these men that's a Hebrew idiom that means will you pull the wool over our eyes will you so deceive us right you're just a manipulator a conniver Moses you're just doing this to get your own status to be prince and ruler over us and and the reason they make those accusations is because that's exactly what they were right? they were manipulators manipulators and connivers who were trying to uh, connive their way into Wrestling power and authority and leadership and glory. Right? and they just assumed, since that's how they would do it, that that must be how God would do, uh, how Moses would do it. Uh, so we will not come up. They' just defined we're not following you Moses. We, we, we have no obligation to obey or follow you. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering, I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. Uh, Moses knows uh, and has uh, integrity before God that he has been um, a leader not like what they accuse him of. Um, well, in the end, uh, in the end, uh, God will confirm and choose his leader. Let's jump down to verse 20. Verse uh, 20. Next day comes, and uh, just as, as God instructed through Mo- Moses, instructed uh, God instructed through Moses, verse twenty, the Lord spoke to Moses and, and Aaron, saying, "Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment." Right. So the next morning, the whole congregation gathers, all of them, the two hundred fifty people, Korah, the leaders, and all the and. and um, Korah was effective in bringing an audience. Like he gets the whole crowd to show up. So confident is he that he's going to be proven right. right? Little does he know. Right? Um, and, and so God's first instruction is to Moses and Aaron, step back, because I am going to blast them. Right. And we've talked over and over to, about God's, God's right of wrath. Right. That, that God doesn't love destroying people. But it is his just response to defiant, rebellious people. God does have a right to destroy them because they will not follow him. Um, but notice what what, what Moses does. And, and they, Moses and Aaron, fell on their faces again. Right? This is Moses' first response. Like, something goes wrong, boom, he face plants. <laughs> Where would he go? Oh, He's on the ground before God praying, right? And this time the prayer is not just for wisdom. This time the prayer is, is an intercession, uh, asking God to spare, to show mercy on the people. Because God is about to bring fire down on the whole nation. Uh, and they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with the, the whole congregation? So, so Moses is pleading that God would, would not uh, condemn and prod his wrath on those who are not the, the real culprits. Right. So God again leads and speaks to him in response to his prayer and he holds his hand back from destroying the whole nation. But he makes it clear to Moses who he's going to destroy. He spoke to the congregation saying, um, this is Moses now. Moses rose and went to the I'm sorry. Verse twenty-three. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram." Uh, Byram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. The elders of Israel, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, "Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins." So God reveals that He's about to destroy. Uh, Dathan and Abiram. They wouldn't come to the tent, so God's taking his wrath to their tents. And and so Moses goes with the leaders and he says, get away, stand back. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives and their sons and their little ones. And Moses said, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. Another key principle here is that God chooses leaders. And God confirms His leaders, right? and God is about to pick His leaders by destroying those who are not His leaders. Right? Um, it's a good thing elections don't work this way in the modern world. Like you run the, the one the one left living, like is God's choice, and everybody else is like done. Right? That would be an interesting way to run elections. Uh, I'm not, I would not be opposed to that, maybe, but um, uh, God doesn't work that way nowadays. But it's how He works here. Um, He says, you'll know who who God has chosen if He's chosen me. If He sent me to do these works and and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and then they go down alive into Sheol... Then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. Okay. Now, like if I was Dathan and Byram, I'd start be getting a little nervous about now, right? Um, but what happens? As soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive, into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished uh, from the midst of the assembly. Right? They, they claim that God was equally in the midst of all of them. God's like, well, that's all, all true except for one thing. Boom. You're no longer in the midst of them. Right? Swallowed up. Um, by the way, there's an interesting uh, geological phenomenon in the Sinai that they've studied where there's these kind of mud box that get crusted over with the hard crust of earth. And if you're not careful, the crust will break and you, you follow through into basically quicksand and the mud sucks you up and, and you can die. That um, it's a natural phenomenon doesn't take away the fact that uh, the timing and the location were very pinpointed. right? It is exactly after Moses speaks this word and it is only the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram that are swallowed up. Uh, God chose Moses by not choosing them. Right? Um, but it doesn't stop there. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, but they said, lest the earth swallow us up. Right. So so this is all happening on the south side of the tabernacle, somewhere out in the camp, right? Meanwhile, back at the, uh, back at the ranch, back at the tabernacle, uh, what's happening? Well, the 250... Uh, followers of Korah are getting their their censers ready, and they got their coal, and they put the incense on, and they come before the presence of God to offer their incense. Right while well, all this is going on, and what happens then? Verse thirty five: And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the two hundred fifty men offering the incense. Right. So on both accounts, God first chose Moses. So in, in destroying Dathan, Abiram, and Korah. God shows his choice of Moses. He says, I I am doing these things through my chosen servant, Moses. By destroying the 250 at the temple, God shows his choice for Aaron as the only legitimate priest who can enter before God's presence. Uh, God instituted the priesthood. Aaron didn't elect himself. Aaron didn't come up with this plan on his own. God had said... You must have a priest who stands between holy God in his presence and, and sinful man. And I have set up the priesthood. And so the whole book of Leviticus was all about this priesthood, this buffer zone. And much of the first part of Numbers, remember, is about setting up this the safety zone to protect Israel from being destroyed by a holy God who cannot abide sin. Uh, but they have very selective memory. Very selective understanding, right? and I love how this works. They remembered what they wanted to remember, but they conveniently forgot the things that did not fit in their agenda and their plan. And in the end, it cost them their life. Um, uh, God chooses, and 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 we see kind of the summary of all this is that Cora was a very effective leader. He got lots of people to follow him, and they followed him right up to their own destruction. That would not be a definition of biblical leadership, right? Uh, leading people to their own destruction—that's right? not good leadership. It's effective because they got people to follow them, but it's not—it's not accomplishing God's purpose. Um. And it doesn't even stop there. So these, so God has eliminated the leaders of the rebellion: Korah, Dathan, Abiram, on um, the 250 uh, other community leaders who were following them. So the the rebellion should be pretty well squelched now, because the leaders are dead, right? But what happens is amazing. These guys' leadership is so effective, it's so good they keep leading from the grave. 17, verse 1. I no, no! know. I'm sorry. Uh, 16, verse 41. But the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You killed the people of the Lord. Unbelievable. Like Nathan says, you just want to yell at them, Stop. Stop. Right? Talk about selective memory. Like this just happened yesterday. God rains down fire. and Now it's Moses' fault. Any of those are leaders ever feel this way, like God does up and all of a sudden it's your fault, right? People do stupid things and they blame you for it, and I'm still like like that's leadership, right? Uh, so here's Moses. He blamed blame because God just destroyed, you know, the rebellion. And you see that these people, even Corey, even after he's gone, he is still leading the congregation. He has so planted in their mind these ideas and this discontent that it's still pulling them away from God. Um, how could they do this? Right? How could they blame Moses? For this? Well, here's the principle. The issue is not that they uh, mistrust Moses, or that Moses is not a good leader, or that they don't like Moses. The real issue is that they will not submit to God. They refuse to put themselves under God's authority and leadership. And when you will not submit to God, then it doesn't matter who his leaders are, whoever the agents are that God has put over your life, you will not like them. You will not want to submit to them. You will not want to follow them. And that's the, that's the case here. right? They're, they're blaming Moses, but the real issue is they are defiant against God. And repeatedly God says, yeah, when you defy my leaders, you're rejecting me. You're rebelling against me. Um so they grumbled against Moses you killed the people and when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron they turned toward the tent of meeting and behold the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared now the cloud was always there but we don't know if it just radiated more brightly or something but something changed there was a sense of God's visible manifest presence the glory of God appears in a new and special way to all the people they all see it um Uh, And behold, the cloud covered, the glory appeared, and Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. The second time in two days when God wants to wipe out the entire people. uh, Because of their rebellion and their defiance. And again, Moses and Aaron do what? What they do, they face plant. They fall on their faces before God. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire in it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. This time more than ever, both Moses and Aaron aren't just praying for wisdom. They're not just interceding for God to, to, to suspend. It's too late. Wrath has gone out. And now they're interceding in a new way, intervening uh, to stand between the wrath of God and the people who are about to be destroyed and it's interesting this is not normally how atonement would be made normally it would be made through offering the bull the blood of a bull. Uh, but given uh, what's been going on the last couple of days uh, God directs Moses to do it through uh, offering uh, this incense and it, it, and it is another way for God to confirm and show that Aaron has a right of priesthood, that Aaron alone is the one who can stand between them as an intermediary and bring about the atonement that they so desperately need. So Aaron takes his sensory, he rushes out into the crowd of these thousands, tens of thousands of people, and apparently the plague is coming something like a wave. And from the out, outer fringes of the camp coming in, people are just dropping dead, line by line by line by line. And, 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 um, and so Aaron rushes towards this Right? He brushes right toward it. And when he gets up to the, the place where it's about to come, him, he, he starts waving the censer. And I'm sure praying for all he is worth. Right? Am I going to survive this? Right? Or is the wave of death going to consume me? Lord God, please stop. Right? Please accept this offering of atonement. And the plague stops right there. And he stands face to face and it says that he is there between the living and the dead. And God receives this offering of atonement and the judgment is stopped. God shows mercy uh, at the hands of of his priest who stands between and makes intercession and makes atonement. Uh, But... It says in verse 48, he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were fourteen thousand seven hundred. The rebellion cost them. Following the wrong leader led to destruction, personal destruction. Finally, verse uh, chapter 17. Um, uh, God uh, has a plan to put a stop to all this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the people of Israel and get, the, uh, get them." Get from them staffs, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs according to their father's houses. Twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting uh, before the testimony where I meet you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Right? So there are 12 main leaders of the 12 tribes where you're supposed to bring their walking stick. These walking sticks were dead. They were super dead, right? Um, Probably these guys had been carrying these walking sticks for for, for many years, right? And it was kind of like a woman's purse. Guy had his walking stick, lady had her purse. For me, I like the the stick idea way better, okay? Okay. I thought it would be kind of cool to just have one. I've always wanted to have my own walking stick. I carry with me around, very Gandalf-ish or Moses-ish. But we just don't do this anymore. It's unfortunate. They're to take their dead sticks and carve their name into it, and put it in the temple before the mercy seat. And God says, "I'm gonna. The man I choose, I'm gonna make his bloom." So they bring them, they lay them before, they leave them overnight. And the next day, what happens? The next day, Moses went into the tent of testimony. Behold, the staff of Aaron, for the house of Levi, had sprouted, put forth buds, and produced blossoms, and bore ripe almonds. Now, this is impressive. This is impressive. It didn't just sprout a little. Like, he brings out a bush, a tree, like branches and buds and blossoms and and almonds. Comes out, Moses' chewing on these almonds. Wow, these are good. Right? Guess who God chose? Aaron. There's no question here. There's no disputing it anymore. And and God instructs Aaron. Put it back as a reminder. As a reminder. Um, So there's some examples of bad leadership and rebellion and where it ends. Let me just summarize and pull out a few principles. And again, this is not everything that you could say about leading Um, there's certainly much more we can say about leading Um, but here's some core things as we lead Uh, and and the first thing would be a word to us as followers Uh, you cannot be a good leader until you first of all are a good follower and a good follower is somebody who is completely submitted to and under God's authority and that means submitting to his leaders if, if you're not a good follower, you should be leading no one. Right? Because, because uh, you, you are like Korah. You are on your own path of destruction. And you might be a good leader, but you will not lead people well. Right? You will lead them to destruction. So, um, and, and we could talk more about following, but we don't have time. But, but, but We should be people who are submitted to God Fully, Like, God gets to be complete Lord and boss over my life. That's what it means to be submitted to Him. But here's some principles. Godly leaders are, first of all, chosen by God and sent by Him. Okay, leadership is not about how many followers you can get. say it again. Leadership is not about how many followers you can get. At this point, how many people did Moses have following him? None. Well, Aaron... One right, Moses has one follower. Okay, by worldly definitions, he's a terrible leader. But in God's perspective, he is the leader. Right? God chose and appointed him. Uh, chapter 16, 4 and five. And Moses heard it; he fell on his face, and he said to Corinna's company, "In the morning, the Lord will show who is His and who is holy. The Lord will choose uh, the one whom God chooses; He will bring near." Um. Uh, verse uh, 16, 8, and 9. Uh, Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation? God chose them. Right? You're in this role because God chose you and assigned you there. Uh, my favorite one, chapter 17, verse 5. God settles up the whole matter. He says, The staff of the man I choose shall sprout, and thus I'll make Israel cease from its crumbling.'" first rule of leadership is that um, if you're a leader it, sh- it should be only because God has called you to that position right? we know for some it's kind of a universal, we know that God has called husbands to lead in their families Right? we know that God has called parents to lead in their children, we know that God has called elders and pastors to lead in the church right? um, in organizations it may be more a matter of choice but is there a sense that... And, and do you have the sense that God, as a leader, has called you? And do you have a sense that those who are over you, that God has appointed them as extensions of his own authority and agency over your life? Okay. Uh, so, so here's a word of encouragement for, for you who are leading and you feel like nobody's following you. Okay. That's okay. Leading is not about how many people are following you. It's about who has given you authority and over what. Who's given you authority? Has God given you authority to lead in a certain area or realm? Of course, Cora got it wrong because he, he, he wanted more than the authority God gave him. So we should know the realm or scope of what God has given us permission and authority to rule. Um, it is calling. And no, no matter if people are following you or not, if you're being obedient to lead as God called you, you are being effective in his eyes. Secondly, uh, leadership is humbly seeking God. And imagine if we as leaders and our roles of leadership, if we responded every time uh, to problems like Moses, did, and we'd fall on our face before God in prayer. I think that would revolutionize most, most leadership. Instead of looking to our own wisdom and our own agenda and our own ideas and our own solutions to pray before God. God, what am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to lead these people? How am I supposed to respond to somebody who's so angry with me or who doesn't like what I'm doing or doesn't agree with my decision? And that was Moses. He was constantly seeking God's wisdom. Thirdly, godly wisdom uh, belongs to those who, or godly leadership belongs to those who instruct people to follow God by teaching His word. Uh, I could quote uh, probably a hundred scriptures just in the book of Numbers alone, but over and over again we see this formula, and God spoke to Moses, telling him, "Say say to the people, God spoke to Moses, say to the people, God spoke to Moses, say to the people. Primarily, this is Moses' leadership. Moses' leadership is not inventing his own plans, promoting his ideas, coming up with a good marketing scheme. Moses actually does no branding. Like, how could he be successful there was no branding? He doesn't even have a logo. How could Moses lead anything? Right? What does Moses do? Well, he just stands up and he says, um, God said, God said, God said, God told you, God wants us to... Right. That's leadership. Leadership is instructing and communicating to people God's directions and instructions. Okay, so now we're talking here about godly leadership. Of course, there is leadership in governments, and, and, there, and there are leaders who are not Christians. Of course, they don't do this. I'm talking about spiritual leadership. Godly people who are leading people in a godly way. Right, they are people who are communicating and warning. And expressing God's commands and God's instructions and God's God's vision, right? It's about God's vision, not theirs. It is not about vision casting and branding and coming up with their own marketing scheme. Apart from God's word, God's truth, God's instruction, God's vision, God's purpose, right? there should be in our leadership the sense the sense of. God told us to do this. God is leading us to do this. This is God's purpose and God's plan. Now, will everybody follow you? No. There are some people who are not under God's authority and they won't respect that. And they don't want to hear what God has to say. That's not your problem. God has His ways of dealing with those who will not submit to Him. But you as a leader need to be somebody who's constantly putting God's Word in front of people. And so we don't need to worry about if people follow us or not. right? You put out there God's word and they have the choice to obey and to, to submit to God's word or not. Right? We don't have to control them, that. And that's not, in the end, our problem. And we certainly don't need to be... So, so, so we need to be faithful to God and His word and His mission and not worry about pleasing people. Let... For. we need to we care for people and protect them from, da- from danger um, Moses was continually interceding for people uh, praying uh, warning them uh, praying over them when they were about to do really stupid things And the, the, a remarkable thing in this is, is that Moses did this for people who hated him right? who were attacking him right? like the easiest thing would have been for Moses to say hey not my problem, God. Just wipe them out. Because I'm tired of this. Right? I'm worn out by their complaining. They say, God, yeah, go for it. Please, please, please destroy them. Do right? their leaders feel like that? God, please just take away this pain in the neck person in my life. Right? But no, good leaders are interceding for that person. Praying for them. Pleading on God's behalf that he would change their heart. Caring for them. Even though they are not good followers. Lastly, uh, the good leaders point people to Jesus. This seems kind of like a good Sunday school answer, but it's true, right? Notice how this whole account ends, uh, chapter seventeen, verses twelve and thirteen. And the so after all this, the the the, the budding rod and cave and you know Aaron's um, rod staff is now buds and branches all of the whole thing, right? And the people's response to this is what? The people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish. We're undone. We're all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord, shall die. We're all going to die. Are we all to perish? Okay? Uh, this This is good news and bad news. The good news is they're finally getting it. They're finally understanding that God is not to be messed with. He's a holy God... And he loves them and he has a good purpose for their life, but there are limits. But they cannot treat him casually. uh, And they can't come near to him as unholy people. They've got to be careful. The bad news is they still don't get the point that the point of this whole thing is that you need a mediator. Yeah, you can't go, but God's appointed someone who's there to stand before you. Don't you remember what Aaron did? How he saved your life? He stood, he faced death, and he made atonement before you with the author of the the censer of incense. I've, I've given you a mediator. Right? You're okay as long as you approach me through Aaron. Right? Well, we as leaders are never Aaron. We are never mediators. We have a mediator, and, and the only mediator we have is Jesus. Right? He alone can stand between us and God. So Hebrews 9, 11-14 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Right as the, as the death was approaching, Jesus, like Aaron, came up and he stood right up in the face of death. Only this time, death did not stop in front of him. Right? The wrath of God consumed him and he died alive. But that was the sacrifice that brought us atonement. Right? So, so we as leaders can never make atonement for anybody. But we as leaders, godly leaders, should be people who are pointing people to Jesus as the only one who can atone for us. As the only one who's really our true leader. Right? We, we as leaders don't lead uh, alone. Really what we're saying is, no, we're all following Jesus. I'm just here to help us make sure we're headed in the right direction towards Jesus and towards his atoning, redeeming one. Godly leaders are those who lead people into God's redemptive plan for those. us You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand.